I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Yes, 1 Chronicles. Anybody ever read 1 Chronicles ever? Yes. Probably read it once and you swore you would never do it again. Let me give you a little background to 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. We're actually doing it as a series at our church right now at Heritage. And so it's really helpful to know the background. 1 and 2 Chronicles are written... Uh, at towards the end of God's people being in exile. So they have been in exile for their sins. They have been in exile for generations. Some of them were under the Assyrian oppression, and then later the, all of them were under Babylonian oppression and Persians. And they're, they're now coming back, and they're coming back in little bitty waves. Okay, And as they come back, they have often forgotten who they are, they have often forgotten what they are and whose they are. And so First and Second Chronicles is written to reorient them, to restore them, to reform them. So they remember all of those things again. And that's why that long genealogy in chapter 1 through chapter 9. Here's your past. And so it goes through all the family names, right? Anybody like Ancestry.com? You're a sick person. Right, but that's kind of first. First Chronicles one through nine. It's so and so begot so and so, his son of so and so, fathered so and so, and all of that. And that makes us mind-numbingly bored to tears. I mean, let's just be honest. Right, it's hard for us to swallow that. But if you, if you were coming out of some situation where you've been taken away for generations and you're coming back home, it's nice to know. We've got roots here. We have family history here. This is our place, right? And so that's the genealogy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start reading 1 Chronicles 4. I'm going to start reading at verse 1 so you can get a sense of how the genealogy works. What's interesting is that in the genealogy, there are occasional bright spots of stories. And we're going to run across the very first story that's in the middle, in the heart of this genealogy. So here we go. 1 Chronicles Chapter 4, by the way, I would encourage you to have a Bible open through the whole sermon. Okay, don't close it. Keep it open so you can see what I'm talking about. The sons of Judah, Peretz, Hezron, Carmi, Hur, and Shobal. Reia, the son of Shobal, fathered Jehath, and Jehath fathered Ahumai, and Lahad. These are the clans of the Zorathites. These were the sons of Etam, Jezreel, Ishmai, and Idbash. And the name of their sister was Hazalel Pony. I just add an extra L there, sorry. And, the, and Penuel fathered Gedor, and Azer fathered Husha. These were the sons of Hur, the firstborn of Ephrathah, the father of Bethlehem, Asher. Uh, the father of Tekoa had two wives, Hila and Naara. Naara bore him Ahuzam, Hefer, Temeni, and Hashtari. These were the sons of Naara. These, the sons of Hela were Zareth, Izhar, and Ithnan. Kaz fathered Anub, Zobabah, and the clans of Arahel, and the son, the son of Harum, Jabez, was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. Caleb, the brother of Shua, fathered Meher, who fathered Eshton, and so forth. What I've read to you, it is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
O great God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, teach us. Teach us this day to seek you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So just very quickly, a couple of things. First off, if uh, I get really, really loud, okay, so if my hair stands up like this and I turn beet red and I start getting real loud, I'm not mad at anybody. I just get really excited, okay? So don't, don't walk out here thinking I was mad at anybody. So let me tell you a little story about Heritage Presbyterian Church where I actually pastor. Heritage Presbyterian Church, uh, we had a 40th anniversary in, 19, in uh, uh, 2017 because Heritage became known as Heritage in 1977. So we had a 40th anniversary. It was really cool. And I got to do a lot of research. And what I found out is that Heritage didn't exist for 40 years. It existed for over 100 years. It had other names. It was known as United Presbyterian Church, Northminster Community Church, and Northminster Presbyterian Church. And so I got to go downtown where the church originally was built, and there it was. The old structure is still there on 25th and Chartel in Oklahoma City. In fact, I saw the dedication stone. It's still there, the granite stone, and it says United Presbyterian Church, 1917. That was pretty cool. So our 40th anniversary was also our 100th anniversary. Woo! It was really awesome. Well, not too long ago, somebody found in their files, one of our folks that had been with the church for, for all, all of those 40 years and more, found a mimeographed letter from someone. They didn't know who it was from, but it was someone in the church at the time who was telling the history of heritage from before 1917. All the way up to when they wrote the letter in 1982 or something like that. And so Heritage actually existed for lots of years before 1917. In fact, this was really cool. Its first church building was a big top tent with sawdust floors. Billy Sunday would have been happy. Right? And so that's when it began. And then it built the building on 25th and Chartel. It lived there for a while. Well, the letter goes on to talk about how the church was at about 200 people and then for various reasons, over the decades, it began to dwindle. There was demographic changes in Oklahoma City. People began to move further north. And so it left just smaller crowds living downtown. And then there was something like a splant. You know what a splant is, right? Like a split and a church plant. It's a nice way of saying it was a church split. But anyways, there was a splant somewhere in the 1950s. And so the church began to dwindle. And dwindle and dwindle. It got down to 13 people in 1957-58. And those 13 people persisted in prayer. And they, were, they persisted in going forward. They persisted in prayer and going forward. And persisted and persisted and persisted. God did something in 1974 or so. And at that point, the church began to turn around. So somewhere from the end of the 1950s to the middle of the 1970s, 13 people persisting and praying, 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 persisting, praying. Middle of the 1970s, something happened, and the church just kind of reignited, and then it began to grow. And it got up to 200 people, and then from there, it built the building where we now are over on uh, Western and um, north of the Turnpike. And so, and it just kept getting bigger and getting healthier. And it went through what looked like healthy times that were actually not so healthy. And it got down again, but it still persisted in prayer. And I tell you that story because I think that it resonates with a lot of churches. Probably resonates with your own story in some way, your own history. Okay? And I think there's something about it that shows up here in Jabez. 
with Jabez's prayer. There's some connection here. Hopefully, I'll make that connection for you. By the way, this is the letter that was actually, they found. I have a copy right here if you ever want to look at it. So let me tell you about Jabez. I've given you all the historical background. You can, there are four points. They all start with an eh sound. There's evaluate. There's environment. There's invocation. So there's evaluation, environment, invocation, and then exclamation or endorsement. Endorsement is the last one. So they all start with eh, eh. That's how I roll. That's how I preach. I love that kind of stuff. So I want you to notice God's evaluation. As we begin here, it starts in verse 9 with, and Jabez was more what? Come on, come on. Honorable, more honorable than his brothers. Now, it's really interesting that it shows up there because it comes out of the blue. Did you notice that? As I was reading, so-and-so was a son of, was a son of, was a father of, was a father of. Did you notice how it just came out of the blue? I mean, it is a shocker Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. It's almost a head-jerking break in the scenario as you're reading through First Chronicles. In fact, it's the very first story in First and Second Chronicles, which is phenomenally important. So here we are, right in the middle of this genealogy of Judah that's nearly hypnotic, the son of, the son of, and then wham, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And when something like that happens, you need to stop and ask a twofold question. Why here and why now? Well, first off, it does what it's supposed to. It grabs your attention just as you are about to drift off into dreamy, mind-numbing realms, right? It grabs your attention. That's part of what it's there for. But secondly, it sets these two verses apart like, uh, and shines on them like neon lights, right? You see these flashing lights. Boop, 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 boop. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And you stop and you go, maybe I need to pay attention. Good. The writer scored. You're going to pay attention. Awesome. That's the reason it's there. But it's even more than that. There's something more happening here. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. As good classic Protestants and Presbyterians, we believe that the writer of 1st and 2nd Chronicles is inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. And so the historian who wrote 1st and 2nd Chronicles is giving us the Holy Spirit's evaluation of Jabez. Let me say it again, because I didn't hear any amens and didn't see any heads nodding, all right? The writer is giving us the Holy Spirit evaluation of Jabez. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. This is God's own assessment of Jabez. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. That's pretty cool. Further, I want you to notice as you look at it, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. There's a slightly unique word there in the Hebrew for honor. Normally, the word for honor is chayil which is what Je uh, Boaz was called. Boaz, anybody remember Ruth and Boaz? Boaz was called a chayil man. He was a man of honor and valor. In fact, Ruth is called a chayil woman. She's an honorable woman. There's a different word used here for honor. It's the Hebrew word that's very heavy, and it's the Hebrew word kavod, which is often translated as glory. For example, in Isaiah 6, do you remember what happens in Isaiah 6? There's Isaiah, he's in the temple the, the year that Uzziah died. Isaiah goes into the temple, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And then he hears the, the seraphim, the fiery angels, and they're crying out and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of, your, of his 
glory. That's the word used here as honor. Jabez was more gloriously honorable than his brothers. That's a pretty cool deal. Jabez was honorable, brilliantly, and beautifully honorable. He was heavy with bright honor. In fact, notice he was more honorable than his brothers. At least it refers to his siblings. More honorable than his siblings. But very likely in the Hebrew, especially in the Middle East, it even means more than that. He was more honorable than all of his uncles and all of his cousins, all of his extended family. But then the fact that it's in the context of the genealogy of Judah, he was more honorable than all of his kinsmen, all of his fellow Judahites. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. This is a guy, my friends, this is a guy that God wants his people to take notice of and to learn from. And remembering what First and Second Chronicles was written for, who it was originally written for, you realize the powerfulness of this little story. God wants especially his beleaguered people who have been beaten up, who have been bewildered and oppressed by political and social forces and who have forgotten who they are to sit up and take notice. Oh, here's the honorable way to go. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Now, before we find out what made Jabez honorable, the writer gives us a painful, his painful background, his painful environment that sets it up something like a dark backdrop. Anybody do pictures, photography in here? No? Yeah. I, I don't either, so it's okay. Right? But if you want to bring out something like a yellow flower, you want to bring out its brilliance, you often need to use a dark backdrop. And then that yellow just sticks out. You know what I'm saying? So that's the way it is with Jabez. Before he gets into what made, one of the things that made Jabez honorable, he's going to tell you the dark backdrop, the environment. This is our second point. It's the rest of verse 9. Notice the rest of verse 9. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Yavetz, saying, because I bore him in Ozeb. It's a play on the word pain. I, she called his name Jabez, painful one, because she said, I bore him in pain. It's almost as if the mother was saying something like this. I'll call him pain, P-A-Y-N-E, because I bore him in P-A-I-N. Do you hear the play on the word? I'm going to call his name pain because I bore him in pain. That's the kind of play she has going on here. No, look, oftentimes parents name their children for some event or family heritage. Uh, thankfully, in my family, Wayne, my dad's middle name, passed on to me. That's great, because my granddad's name would have freaked me out. Orville Floyd. He's from Tahlequah, by the way. That's where he lived. And so that was really, no, I'm glad that didn't pass on, right? So we have those things like that happen, and that's fine. We want to do those things. Our youngest son's name is Derek. Because when I was at Reformed Theological Seminary, Derek Thomas showed up and started teaching there and loved Derek Thomas. And so when our youngest son was born, right after I retired from the Air Force, we called his name Derek. Just a reminder of a great role model. Right? So those things happen, but there's something darker in this sentence. And you know it's dark because it's going to come back up in the very last line of Jabez's prayer. You see, Jabez's mother erected a heavy granite monument 
to memorialize her pain and her grief and her trauma. And she chiseled the word pain into that granite monument. And then she took it and put it on her boy's back so that her boy would have to carry it around all his live long days. Pain. Now, if mama survived this painful birth, which was maybe, but not always likely in a situation like that, but if she survived that painful birth, you could imagine how things might have gone years later when the boy didn't take out the trash like she asked him to, didn't help with the dishes like she wanted, or he didn't do his laundry. You might have heard her say something like this, pain You caused me pain when I carried you those nine months, boy. And then you right nearly killed me, hurt me from the inside out when I gave birth to you. And now here you are again, pain, causing me more pain. What's sad is I've actually heard parents do that kind of thing. So you can imagine she probably did something like that if she survived the birth. However it worked out, she succeeded in making this man, this young man, Jabez, lug around the monument of her grief and my friends that kind of thing grinds on a soul it scars and it mars a mind it is a dark and drowning environment and why it's significant that the writer brings this specific story out at the very beginning is this it's exactly what god's people needed to hear who had been living for generations under pagan rule And remember, they were under pagan rule because of their own sinfulness. And therefore, they had lost all the conflicts and been captured. You can imagine that year after year and generation after generation, what they were called. Losers! Dustbag! Right? Or whatever else. Right? Names to emphasize their denigration. And they would have lived with that. It's almost like Nazi Germany in the 1930s, right? What did the Nazis do with Jews? They gave them a big gold star with Yehuda on it or something like that. The name wasn't bad, but the whole point was to make them a target to scorn. That wears on a soul. And so God's people coming out from underneath their exile need to hear this story because it resonates especially with their situation, having this kind of name. This kind of denominator becomes life-shaping and crushing. But then the more than honorable than his brothers Jabez shows his bright honor with his invocation. This starts verse 10. Okay, almost all of verse 10. His invocation, which is exactly what the Holy Spirit guided his story in, wants God's people to know the invocation. Now notice this, before we get into deep into verse 10, notice that of whatever Jabez, whatever else Jabez did that was honorable, that made him more honorable than his brothers, this is the only thing mentioned. Did you hear that? His invocation is the only thing mentioned as exhibit A of what made Jabez more honorable. Now let that percolate in your hearts and souls for a while. This is what Exhibit A, this is what we mean by Jabez being more honorable than his brothers. He prayed, and he prayed with confidence and faith. Notice that his invocation is exhibit A of this brilliant honor, 
which is a big theme all the way through First and Second Chronicles. Because if you walk through First and Second Chronicles, you realize how often there is faith-filled, faithful praying that keeps burbling to the surface all the way through First and Second Chronicles. And so Jabez's invocation has three parts to it, if you want, three aspects. You could probably do more. You can't do less, but you could probably do more. First off, there's faith and boldness. Notice how it begins. Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border. Now to begin, notice that Jabez calls out to whom? Come on, loud, let me hear you. Not just to any old God. God of Israel. Now why would this be important for Jabez, for this to be brought up for those who are coming out of exile? He's calling to the God of Israel. What is one thing you know about the God of Israel? Well, if nothing else, you remember this. The God of Israel went into the world's superpower, Egypt, and rescued his enslaved people who could not rescue themselves. Are are you picking this up? So when he's praying to the God of Israel, he's praying to the one who began the Ten Commandments with these words. By the way, this is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is never the beginning of the Ten Commandments. This is, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am the God who set you free. So here's how free people live. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Right? I'm the God of Israel who brought you out of the land, out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Notice that Jabez is praying to the liberating, loyal God. He's praying to the freeing, faithful God. He prayed to the God of Israel, the one who set the captive free. Right? There's gospel in that statement. He prayed to the God of Israel. That's where this all begins. That's why he's being known as an honorable man. Because he really trusts in this God. It's the very thing that the people who have been exiled and are coming back need to recall as they move ahead. Now notice his prayer begins this way. Oh, that you would bless me. And then it goes on from there. In the Hebrew, there's actually a double word. Oh, that you would give me blessed blessing. In most Middle Eastern languages, you say a word twice to emphasize it. Because you didn't used to have, you know, computers with word processors and 36 bold font for words, right? You had to say it twice to make it really emphatic, you know. It's kind of like... it's kind of like, you know, when you have a touchdown on game day, right? And it's, what is it? Pistols firing, right? If you, heard, if you heard the guy, well, what's his name? Hunsenberger, whatever his name, when he does it, it's lots of emphasis. Pistols firing! Right? That's kind of what this is. Oh, that you would give me real blessing! Right? Blessed blessing. Now, look, we're good Americans, And in America, we have drunk, unfortunately, from the poisonous well of health and wealth gospel. If you live in America, you've drunk from that well. I don't care who you are, okay? And when we hear blessing, we almost immediately move towards health and wellness. Things going good for me, happy days, right? All that stuff. But in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament and into the New Testament... Blessing more often than not actually has to do with God's faithful promise to Abraham. When Abram was in the Ur of the Chaldees, I'm I'm stretching your Bible memory here. This is okay, though. Hang with me. 
When Abram was in Ur of the Chaldees, God said to him, I want you to go and be an, I want you to be a stranger in a strange land. I want you to move to a place I'm going to send you. And those, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And Abram, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Score. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then in chapter 22 of Genesis, he says to Abraham, he says, In your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then Paul tells us when you get to Galatians chapter 3, that the offspring of Abraham by whom will come blessing to all the families and the nations of the earth is our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, And so it's about this, this whole prayer, the first part of the prayer that you would really bless me is actually about God extending his kingdom, his world rescue operation, that there would be blessing through, through him to the families and the nations of the earth. Oh, that you would really bless me. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And can I please have a part of it? That's what Jabez is praying for. He's not praying for health and wealth. He wants to be more part of God's world rescue operation. You know that because of the next part of the prayer. Oh, that you would really bless me and enlarge my border. Now look, Jabez was probably in the time of the judges, or maybe a little bit before. And if you know the story, you remember that once God's people moved into this promised land, they were given... Each tribe and each family was given a part of the land. Do you remember this? It was actually divided up. They actually had surveyors go in and do all that stuff, and they gave them a portion. Well, that promised land was God's kingdom, his special dominion. And so everybody in Israel had some. And there was lots of land left unclaimed. And so when Jabez is saying that you would enlarge my border, he's saying, give me more of your kingdom. Give me more of your world rescue operation. So the first and the second part of that very first line, that you would really bless me and give me more of, uh, enlarge my borders, give me more of your kingdom. May your kingdom come, may I be part of it, and may I have just a little bit more of it. May I be a more a part of your blessing all the families and the nations of the earth. That's what he's doing here in that prayer. Enlarging my borders. And so Jabez is crying out a kingdom prayer. And the exiles that are returning from out from underneath the pressure they've been under for generations need to hear that because they need to be reminded again. Not only of whose they are and who they are, but why they are. They're part of the expansion of God's world rescue operation, his kingdom. They need to remember that as they come home. And so Jabez is exhibiting this prayer. Well, I want you to notice our call to worship. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave us the exact promise that goes right along with this. We often misuse John 14, verses 12 through 14, to mean, oh, he'll answer our prayer for a $2 million mansion. He'll answer our prayer for healing from cancer. He'll answer our prayer for a $500,000 Bentley, which is a fancy car, by the way, right? And often these verses get used that way, but Jesus is not talking about those things. His promise is if you pray in his name about being part of his world rescue operation. So listen to what he says in John 14, verses 12 through 14. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me 
the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. Now, just stop a minute. What do you mean, Jesus? You died for the sins of your people throughout all the ages. What do you mean, greater works? He's referring to his realm of ministry as he served the kingdom. It was very limited and and bound by the geography of, of Galilee and Judah. But he's saying, he's promising, as we believe in him, we will be able, in trusting him, we will be part of his work expanding beyond those borders. Are you all picking this up? Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Christ's resurrection and ascension is the seal, is the proof that this, is going to, that this promise is true, because I go to the Father. And whatever you, ask, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will give it to you. What does that mean, the mansion? No, he's talking about the world, God, his world rescue operation, his kingdom. Whatever you ask about being part of my world rescue operation and doing things in it, I will answer it. Why? So that the Father will be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Oh, my friends, what Jabez is praying for, Jesus later promises for his people. Isn't that cool? Thank you for that amen. I'm a very interactive person, so if you don't interact, my ego gets really fragile and starts to shatter. And Finally, he gets down to, uh, uh, excuse me, so then he gets right to the heart of his place in the kingdom. Notice the very middle part of the prayer. So after he's prayed that you would really bless me and enlarge my board, he then says, and that your hand would be with me. Now, that's really powerful because what he's driving, driving at is this, is that without this part, God's hand being with him, that all of that more of your kingdom stuff he just asked for would be impossible to sustain. Without this, your hand being with me, all of that kingdom growth part that he had just prayed would be impossible to sustain. And so Jabez's kingdom prayer, which is exactly what the returnees needed to be praying and remembering, is this. Oh, make me more part of your blessing, all the families of the earth, and enlarge my area of influence. But please, please, please keep your hand on me to guide me, to sustain me, and sometimes when I'm a real idiot, to restrain me, right? So that... If you don't do that, then it will all go to pot. That's why Jabez puts that in there, because he's exactly right. Finally, in the last part of the prayer, here's where he gets down to himself, and he gets down to his condition, and he gets down to the load he's been bearing since his mama gave him that name, Pain. And that you would keep me from raw harm... So that it might not bring me pain. Right? And translations differ a little bit because the Hebrew is a little bit hard to translate completely. But it's very obvious what he's actually praying for. First off, here's how you know that Jabez's mama truly burdened him and weighed him down with her monument of grief and trauma. Years later, here he is praying, get me out from underneath this load. Set me free. From my hostage situation that my mama put me in. Or to use the language of First Peter. I'm going to quote again in just a minute. Set me free from those futile ways that I have inherited from my parents. 
Notice what Jabez is praying at the very end as he's praying about God's kingdom and being part of God's world rescue operation and God sustaining him. He's praying now for something different. He's praying for a new denominator. I hope you write these down. There's three D words here. He's praying for a new denominator. Denominator is just another name, right? A name. He's praying for a new denominator. He's praying for a new direction. And he's praying for a new destiny. Oh, that you would give me a new name even. That you would put me on a different path completely so that I'm no longer carrying around this load that's been crushing my heart and my life. You'd set me in a whole new direction so I'm no longer causing pain or experiencing that pain. Do you hear it? He's praying for God to give him a new denominator, a new direction, and a new destiny. No longer pain, Lord, but blessing. And so Jabez is the model for God's people who are returning to the God of the people to reclaim and reform them. Because the temptation, after years of being enslaved and being oppressed, the temptation is to wallow in your misery. Now, I have to deal with people sometimes who have been in abusive relationships in their marriages or with their parents. And I find that that's not just people coming out of exile doing that. But a lot of times, we wallow in our misery. How often do people need to hear this prayer? It's legit for us to pray this kind of thing. And so instead of wallowing in their past and in their misery, Jabez is modeling how God's people are to be praying For a new denominator, a new direction, and a new destiny as they move upward, onward, and outward. Jabez is passionately calling out to the liberating loyal one. The one who said, I am Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He is praying to him and you too can pray this kind of prayer with great certainty and confidence. You can do that. Because why? Because of our Lord Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Listen to what Peter says. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your, fore, your forefathers. The futile ways is not necessarily just legalism. The futile ways can be family systems of abuse and alcoholism and drug addiction. Right? Sexual abuse and those things. You've been ransomed from those futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Hallelujah! Oh, come on now. Come on now. I know we're Presbyterians. Come on. Break. Break. Come on. Hallelujah! You've been ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Thank you. That's gospel good news. And then he goes on. Peter goes on and says... With the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So we have even greater reasons to pray this and pray it with faith. And pray this with this, as I've laid it out for you. To pray it with this anticipation and expectation. And so Jabez became a bright light on a bleak canvas. Because his prayer was drenched with faith in the faithful freeing God. Truly, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And you know that because of what comes last. It's the last sentence. It's like the divine exclamation point. So look at that last sentence. I call it the the endorsement. And God granted, come on now, his request, what he asked. God granted what he asked. 
Well, God granted his requests. Well, which of the requests? All of them! The kingdom enlarging request. The sustain me as I do this appeal. The set me free from this load and heavy weight that is crushing me plea. And God granted what he asked. God answered his prayer. Then, here's the amazing thing. This is where the eyes of faith need to step in here for a minute. But he not only answered his prayer then. But God is still answering his prayer 3,000 years later. Well, preacher, what do you mean by that? I have no idea what you mean. I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. We just stumbled across Jabez's story. We just heard his prayer. It should rouse faith in us. Well, guess what? Answer to Jabez's prayer again. That, that, that rocks my boat. Because most of my prayers are about this little moment right here. And here's God answering prayer, Jabez's prayer for 3,000 years. I think about heritage. I think about that season when heritage was dwindling and the, the, the 13 continued to persist and pray. And lo and behold, God has been answering their prayers for decades. You're going to get a new RUF minister here soon. Anybody know who he is? John Robert Biggs. Mary Biggs was Mary Santelman, grew up in our church. John Robert was a, minister, was a member of our church for years, and that's where he met Mary. And they got married. And then John Robert's actually coming to this RUF. Woo, the Lord is answering our prayers as it has been since the 1960s. All these church plants in the Oklahoma City area and out to Shawnee, Matt Wiley and uh, Casey Shutt and all of those, all of those ministers were at one time members of Heritage. Whoa, the Lord has been hearing our forefathers' prayers and still answering them. Now, I'm not elevating heritage. I'm just giving you an example. We often pray with this little bitty moment in mind. And here's God saying, oh, I'm going to answer your prayer. And I'm going to blow your socks off. I'm going to do it long after you're dead and keep on answering. Praise the Lord. So God granted what he requested. And so no longer is Jabez a pain. Rather, he is now a long-standing channel of gospel blessing to you, even in 2023. And Jabez is a positive example of a promise that's going to be made in 2 Chronicles later. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Unfortunately, another verse that gets horribly misused on every national day of prayer I've ever been a part of and at every presidential election. It's not about the United States of America. It's about God's world rescue operation. And Jabez is a positive example of it. If my people who are called by my name, like Jabez, will humble themselves like Jabez, and pray like Jabez, and seek my face like Jabez, and turn from the wicked ways, turn from their harm, turn from their past like Jabez, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land, heal the kingdom, heal the church. Jabez is a positive example of that promise. One more thing to notice about Jabez before we move to the end here. And Jabez is also a prototype of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who was numbered with the transgressors. Who was given bad names. Do you remember some of those bad names? Oh, he casts out demons by Beelzebul. He's a, he's a witch. He's a magician. 
By the way, in the Talmud, what was actually transcribed 200 years after Jesus, he is still remembered as a magician, right? He got that name. He got called all kinds of others' names. Oh, you've been born out of fornication. You're a Samaritan. You remember that story in John 9? He had all kinds of bad names heaped upon him. And then the worst came when he dies on the cross for his people and he bears our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is actually, uh, Jabez is actually the prototype pointing to our Lord Jesus who is the greater than Jabez. Pretty cool. Well, my friends, let me try to dock this boat here. So the people returning from captivity would have likely resonated with something that Eugene Peterson once wrote. He's the one that did the message. He wrote a ton of books. And one of those books he wrote in the 1980s was called Leap Over the Wall. He wrote this. The streets of our cities and the pews of our churches are crowded these days with emaciated men and plastic women. There are too many limp souls. And so the spirit-inspired editor of First and Second Chronicles wants that original audience, and he wants us to follow Jabez's line of sight toward the liberating, loyal God who set us free from our house of bondage and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That it's this God who takes limp souls and can make them what they are not at present. It's this God who takes limp souls that are burdened with a heavy past, a past that may often feel fatalistic and deterministic and reshapes them. And God granted what he asked. And so to be a God-seeking people at all costs, it's there that you will find the stamina, the stability, and the ability to carry on when you do feel limp-souled, when you do feel wounded and discouraged and discredited. But more, just looking at Jabez, more discouragement, disappointment, and despair should not characterize us. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. That's legit. But it should not characterize us. Why? Because we have every reason to begin to expect with all holy anticipation the unimaginable in our prayer. If God is still answering Jabez's prayer 3,000 years ago, oh, he can do far more than we even thought of, which is what we heard in the New Testament. One that apparently you use often, Ephesians 3, verses 19 and 20. Now to him who is able to do abundantly more than all that we ask or think. I want you, I hope you have your Bibles open. I would like you to put next to Ephesians 3:19, put over there 1 Chronicles 4, 9 and 10. So every time you read those verses, you think about Jabez and you go, Oh, you know what? Jabez had no idea God was going to be answering his prayer 3,000 years later. Oh, this God can do far more than we ask or think. We have every reason to pray with that kind of anticipation. Let me end with this. What about this congregation? Well, how fitting to allow this kingdom expansion prayer of Jabez to shape our prayer for this church and for God's larger church. When I first presented this in May of this year, it was May the 14th, I quoted Harry Reader, Pastor Harry Reader. A week later, he died. So don't let me quote you. You might die. No. 
But he wrote a book called From Embers to a Flame. It was very touching to know that I just quoted him and then he passed away. Harry Reader said this, as he was writing in that book, From Embers to a Flame, he's looking at Jabez and he says this, you may be in a church that seems to have everything going against it, pain and difficulty in the past, a wicked culture around you, and seemingly grim prospects for the future. But God blessed Jabez and he is able to bless you, and if you will ask him to do so through biblical and faithful prayer. The prayer of Jabez, the way it should have actually been preached and written about years ago. And there it is. Let's pray. Well, God, we come to you, and some of us come with heavy backgrounds and heavy pasts that do weigh a soul down and grind. Names. Like maybe by that time when mama slapped in the face and said, you loser. Names that weigh on us and grind us down. Thank you for Jabez who reminds us we can lift up our hearts to you. And you are the God who gives us a new denominator in Jesus Christ. You give us a new direction. You give us a new destiny. Thank you for this prayer of Jabez. I pray for anyone here now who, hear, who, who is not a believer that you would work in their heart. You who are able to do far more than we ask or think, I pray that you would work in their heart. You would show them the new life that is there for them in Jesus Christ, and they would run to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.